Hi, this is Gina. Welcome to Ladyland. Think about your closest friend. Maybe you know where she works, but do you know what she does all day? Do you know her job title? Do you know what she studied in school? Turns out, I didn't. So, I made a podcast to find out. Welcome to Ladyland. I'm your host, Kim Baldwin. This is a conversation with women from all walks of life and different backgrounds. It's funny at times, serious at times, but always honest. This is Ladyland. Hi, Gina. Hi. Thanks for coming to Ladyland. Thanks for having me. Although, technically, Ladyland came to you. We did. Margaret is in all. We are recording this in Gina's studio, Studio G. Shout out to Studio G. Gina, I like to have my guests introduce themselves. Will you tell everyone a little bit about you? Sure. I'm Gina Johnson. I'm a recording engineer and producer in Nashville, Tennessee. We're sitting here at my home studio, glitter on the walls, margarita on ice, our glasses, candles burning, the vibe is set. Lady the vibe Land is, is set. here. Yes. It's so perfect in here. It's so fun. Yes. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We're also meeting Diana for the first time. Diana took over engineering for this season and for all seasons for the rest of eternity. We Hope love Diana. Okay we love Diana. She's the best. <laughs> okay. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Because I'm married to a recording engineer, I know enough to be dangerous. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious about your interest in engineering because you are the only woman engineer I know. So I'm wondering like what that looks like as maybe a kid or maybe a college student. Like when did you start thinking about this? I grew up singing in church and being all about music throughout my childhood and young adulthood. And, um, you know, singing is a huge passion of mine. And that was one of the things that I think led me to this. In college, I was sort of figuring out what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a manager or something like that. And so then I learned about audio production and What's funny is growing up, my grandfather, after church, he'd like make us pancakes and whatnot. And um, he'd also have his um, tape machine out, reel to reel, or then it went to cassettes as well. And he would record us and have like little conversations with us. I had no idea at the time that's what we were doing, but he was making a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically, of us. Yeah. And I've, I've since then um, transferred a lot of that stuff to digital. So we have it. Um, but yeah, he was a vocalist as well. And, you know, that was a passion of his. So I think there was, you know, some music in my family, but not a ton. Nobody had ever taken this journey before. So I wasn't quite sure how to go down this path or what that even meant. That's really cool. Yeah. I love grandpa's pancake. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> that's a good podcast name, actually. <laughs> Branding genius. <laughs> Did you tinker growing up? Did you like to like take electronics apart and put them back together? I loved, well, I worked a lot in um, cars. And really? uh, yeah, I would actually change oil for my friends. Oh my God. <laughs> like as a side hustle. 
It's really funny. I even got like little ramps and I would do it in my, you know, parents' garage and change people's oils. And then I also, I mean, the furthest I got were replacing brakes and shocks. And um, that was about it. But then I also took a um, class my junior year of high school for um, taking apart and rebuilding small engines, just two strokes. So it was like lawnmowers and things like that. Um, That's so cool. And I just really liked it. I mean, it was just, I'm a very tactile learner. And that was something that interested me for some reason at a young age. And um, so then when I got into engineering, I started you know, learning the technical stuff, working at Welcome to 1979 studio, I would, um, starting as an intern, you know, first you're cleaning the tape machines and then you get to actually learn different things to solder and replace capacitors and resistors and then how to test the tape machines. So they did a really good job from the ground up, like teaching you how to troubleshoot, be in the middle of a recording session. All of a sudden you hear or something, right? Some sort of buzz. I got to the point where I was like, okay, I know exactly what that is, where, what card it is. Okay, the record card on channel 16 doing X, Y, and Z. You were blowing my mind. But it's just one of those things where it just, it becomes second nature. And then um, I think throughout that, it becomes strange working with people in the studio that don't necessarily have a technical background because that is so much technical can be two different things, right? Technical, okay, you're really good on a computer. You're really good with that. But like actually being able to fix something. Like for instance- Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. When I worked with um, Michael Wagner, producer engineer, um, he he used to build amps. He built Stramp amps in Germany and has his electrical engineering degree. And so it was that was something to me that I was like, oh, that is just like what also we need to know and do. And I've been interested in that forever um, since I started. So I'm, you know, every single time I can learn more, I will. And, you know, Vance Powell, same way. He's not afraid to take the top off of, you know, a, a compressor or whatever and figure out why it's not working. And um, it's just a hands-on mentality and, you know, get it done. And that's a huge part of our job, but I don't know you know, how much in schools people are actually pushing that, you know? So, little Gina, were you changing oil in Minnesota? I was. I've never been to Minnesota. Well, don't go in the wintertime. (laughs) (laughs) So, you can go three months in the year and that basically, there's two seasons in Minnesota, right? There's construction season and then there's winter. I've never heard that. Yeah. So there's like three, three months of, of summer. It's beautiful, but we always hang out at the lake. So now, you know, we're really close to the lake and, you know, we're five minutes from the lake. We can hop on pontoon and mm-hmm. that's our getaway. That's nice. Yeah. So you went to college in Minnesota and then you moved here. Did you know you'd end up in Nashville? Like was Nashville? I never know because I'm from here. Um, if recording people are like, I'm going to Nashville. Or if you just kind of like end up here for a job or for school or whatever. Right. I didn't know starting off or forever. I just actually it was I went to uh, Minnesota State University, Mankato, where I was raised. And then I went to Hennepin Technical College in Eden Prairie for um, the audio production and recording and got more into that. And one of the professors there. Actually, Chris Morrow went there 
who oh, owned Welcome 1979. Yeah. yeah, so he's from Wisconsin originally. And then Tommy Wiggins, who was 1979's mastering engineer, and now he's a mastering engineer on his own. And I mean, he's brilliant, amazing person. And he actually wrote the curriculum for Hennepin Tech. So it's it was very intertwined. And so when I was showing, you know, I knew that I had to go somewhere. You know, Minneapolis, it was just, there. there was stuff going on, but you know, I wanted to go where there was stuff really going on, where to have a chance to get a job. And so I came down here one summer with my mom, my grandma, and we just kind of made a girl's trip out of it. And I lined up some interviews and I went to Welcome 1979, which was set up by that professor, Mike, and um, met Chris and took a tour. And I mean, I was dumbfounded. It was just, it was super cool. You know, that place is huge. it's huge. It's huge. And um, yeah, it's it's fun to look back and see your thumbprint on things. You know, I mean, I painted that floor when you first walk in the yes. yellow and gold floor. Oh, how funny. and the ceiling, the gold stripe. And I, I also, don't remember the ceiling. I remember the floor. Oh, yeah. Try to get paint out of your hair. <laughs> that was something <laughs> that I learned should have worn some sort of a shower cap. But and then, you know, they were just getting into mastering and Cameron Henry, you know, was going to oh, be yeah. there. So, um, I mean, I painted that room and built sound panels for that. And yeah, it was kind of fun to see um, that all take shape and be a part of that. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty small crew and now they're rocking over there. So. Yeah, they yeah. really are. God, that's so, I did not know about that connection. That's really yeah, cool. I know. I know. I hadn't thought about it until now for a while. Mm -hmm. Nashville is so, so big and so small. Mm -hmm. So you came here from college, worked at 1979. I'm curious how you went from welcome to 1979 to RCO Studio A. Was there a lot of time between those jobs? Yes and no. Okay. There was a lot of jobs. There Ooh, were a lot of things in between that. Um, so I worked at 1979 um, for three months, unpaid internship. And then the next day they hired me. My parents were in town. It was like Easter weekend. And um, they had a gig come up. And I had to make the hard decision to, you know, I hadn't seen my parents in a while and first time they were visiting me in this town that I was living in, you know, and, um, and, you know, Chris is like, I mean, let me know, you know, this is, this is what you went to school for. This is what you, you know, what you were training for. And I was like, okay. And I, and I, I took it and then I became their house assistant and that was awesome. And, um, through that, you know, I do odd jobs all the time. So besides assisting on sessions there and, teching stuff at the studio and, you know, rebuilding and restoring Mara machines, which are MCI tape machines. Um, I worked for a weekend with Gil Griffith at Waves Distribution um, and just set up his booth. And that was a, um, that was a Chris Mara connection and um, met them. I did all this research. I remember like <laughs> you know, dressing up like, you know, business, like nice and um, like reading every manual. <laughs> so I knew exactly what to say if people would ask me questions. And um, Gil said, you know, I guess this weekend at least would be, you know, entertaining if Michael Wagner would show up, you know, and I'm like, who's Michael Wagner, you know, and he did. He walked through the door 10 minutes later. He comes around, he stops at the booth and um, and he was like, hey, 
you know, shook my hand and I was like, what do you want to know about, you know, like distressors or, you know, all that stuff, which is hilarious, right? To think I don't back know who now. Michael Wagner is. Okay. So Michael is a producer engineer. He actually just recently um, retired, but he um, mixed Metallica Master of Puppets, Ozzy Osbourne, No oh. More Tears, Skid Row, I Remember You, Janet Jackson, Dokken. Small stuff. I mean, yeah, like all of the shit that matters, <laughs> I feel like, from like the rock and metal of, you know, 80s, 90s. And, you know, so he was Germany, L.A., Nashville. So he was just saying I could he's like, I need an assistant. You know, I've been looking for an assistant. And um, so I was like, OK. And he, you know, gave me his business card. And that night I called my professor in Minnesota and I was like, so I just met this guy. And he's like, holy shit, that's like like somebody that I've like always looked up to <laughs> and I was like really okay you know and Guess so obviously him. like I googled him and all that stuff but you know I hadn't I wasn't like a metalhead or whatever you know I like like classic rock and stuff and whatever and I'd heard things he did but um so I wrote him a letter <laughs> saying and I think he kept it it's hilarious because once in a while he like you know sends me the email just you know because we're he's one of my best friends now and um I was like I was Hi, I'm, you know, is that brown haired girl that you met in the Waves booth, you know, and um, I went to his, I remember telling Chris in the studio, I was like, hey, I'm going to have to like take tomorrow, you know, part of tomorrow because I met um, this guy and I, I just have, you know, which is hard to say to somebody that, you know, is employing you, but it was all freelance. So it's like, well, you have to make moves. And so um, he was like, holy shit, Michael Wagner, you know? And he was such a fan of what he had done too. So it was really cool to talk to him about it and kind of, you know, ha- see his perspective. But I went and me and Michael talked for like four hours and we just like, you know, I mean, I played him that I, stuff that I had done even. It was hilarious. I was like, he must have thought I was just, you know, like. It's bold. It was bold, but it was like, yeah, let me hear. But he made it so safe and wonderful and open and just lovely. And so him and I talked and he played me, you know, some of his favorite stuff that he's ever worked on. And we just talked about life and studio and his expectations and things. And as soon as I knew it, you know, I was on sessions where, you know, I was setting up all of the drum mics and I was learning from this master, you know, it's basically like a master class. He really loves vocalists, right? So like, if it's a good vocal, he's super inspired by that and good lyrics, good songs. And he was so much in like the empathetic sense of what I try to take into my sessions too, is, you know, really listening to what the song's saying and like catering to that, you know, and learning who the artist is and, you know, going into that instead of just like what you want it to be as a producer. So that was really cool um, to actually be able to apply that in my own space. Um, but so I worked with him for a while and I also, um, work like my first number one I worked on, um, was Lee Bryce. I don't dance. And, uh, that was, um, produced, I think by Justin Ebank. So I was working with his engineer and, um, and going around and doing different, you know, things and gigs around town. But that kind of led me to being a freelance assistant at House of Blues, Blackbird. I got to work in the castle, um, the playground, which was right next to Blackbird before. Man, you've been truly like the best of the best. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I learned a lot. 
you know, I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from them. But like the best thing is like, you just have to be kind of put in like the lion's den. You know, I remember the first session that I did at the castle. It was like, you know, one of the first times I'd run Pro Tools with, you know, A-list players. I was so nervous and which I shouldn't have been nervous. I've been doing it, you know, for a couple of years, but it's like a couple of years. And I remember like, instead of hitting the number three for record, I hit enter and I like, you know, would just, I was like, you know, I'm like, what do I do? You know? And it was like Michael Rhodes on bass. And I'm like, oh gosh. (laughs) And, but that experience made it. So I never did that again. And then I gained the confidence, you know, and luckily he was very patient But, um, you know, I think everybody kind of needs that space to be able to mess up once or twice and learn and go from there. And um, that's really what I'm trying to figure out in my own space, you know, with assistants and interns and whatnot, is when you're mentoring somebody, make it a good space, not just like the old Nashville where you're, you know, running people over with a bus because, you know, your ego is the size of whatever, you know, so... Anyways, I think going through that also has made me not want to be that way also. Yeah. Um, So anyways, all that stuff. And then I met um, the studio manager at the time. Um, Sorrel Brigman was at RCA Studio A. She was an assistant there. And then she turned to studio manager um, with Sharon House or Sharon Corbett House, who was Ben Fold's manager. So Ben had leased the place for 14 years. And... um, So she was becoming manager and needed somebody to basically replace her um, or be another person. So I stopped by and that was the first time I'd seen women in the studio as an, as engineer. So Leslie Richter was there fixing a whirly pedal in the control room and Sorrel was taking me around and I stepped into RCA and I just looked around and I just thought if the walls could talk, you know, some of my favorite records were done there. And I was just like, I was just shocked and I wanted to be in that room, you know? And so I was still freelancing around town a lot. Okay. And then I started doing that more until I was like the full-time assistant there. Man. So it was a really, it was a hustle, you know? It's it's not like you just like get a job and then it's like guaranteed. And there were other assistants as well. And, you know, we were pretty good about, um, about having, uh, you know, like giving each other gigs if like, hey, I need a weekend or this person or whatever. So it wasn't yeah. like a super competitive thing, but... Um, That's nice to hear. Yeah. Okay. It was good for the most part. Hello. Do you like cake, brunch, having fun? Then do we have good news for you? Friend of the pod, Joy the Baker, has partnered with William Sonoma to turn some of her favorite recipes into brunch and cake mixes for bakers of all abilities. Shop Williams-Sonoma online and in stores now. Also, attend a summer bakehouse class. I attended one in the before times, and I can't recommend it enough. Check out Camp Joy and Pizza and Pints. New summer classes are still being added, so make sure you follow The Bakehouse NOLA on Instagram and sign up for the newsletter at joythebaker.com for all Joy the Baker and Bakehouse news. Happy baking! You've worked with everyone's favorite artists. Chris Stapleton, Jason Isbell, Brandy Carlisle, Casey Musgraves, and John Prine. Do you mind, and you can 
you cannot answer this, but do you mind telling us what it was like to work with John Prime? Sure. Probably one of my most favorite people to work with. Um, it's still hard to think about that he's not here. Um, I have such beautiful memories with him just as a human and musician and just, I think, being in his orbit. And to think that we were alive during the same time that one of the greatest songwriters, you know, was alive and creating this insanely awesome music is a blessing to all of us, you know, and especially now, um, the pandemic, I mean, you think about the collection over his 50 years of writing songs and being an artist. And I love listening to him because I've obviously done a deep dive, you know, since, um, we lost him too. And it was, it's like everything is approached kind of playfully, but there's a deeper meaning there. And I really loved that. And he loved, like when we were in RCA making Tree of Forgiveness, I mean, he would, he would chuckle at himself, you know, like, um, when he said like, uh, gosh, I mean, I forget right now the song, but on Tree for, Tree of Forgiveness, remember me and Dave and Matt, we just like look at him and just, he just chuckled at himself. You know, if it was a line that he wrote that was supposed to be funny. Um, so anyways, we, I, I adored being around him. I mean, when I first met him, I thought, you know, I want to be more like John Prine because he just, he, it's like he never took life too serious and he only really said stuff that he meant. And, um, but he was always listening. Yeah, he was so kind. And it was really fun to see him interact with his family too. I mean, first of all, the love for Fiona that he has it was just, I mean, it was infectious, you know, you were just like, oh, someday I want to be that couple, you know, and his sons would come to the studio when we're recording and the way that he greeted them, like, hi, son, I love you, you know, with like all the love in the world and big old hugs. And it just felt like nothing could break them. You know, it was really, and I know that, you know, John and Fiona, like, I think showing your love in that way and just being honest and open and good people, it just, you know, it lends for other people to be that way too. So, um, yeah, it's I so just sweet to hear it comes through really in his music them. too. Yeah. Like, it's nice to know that you, to write songs like that, you kind of have to be a good human being. Right. Well, and so. think about like a listener, you know, he's. He probably used to that. I mean, being a starting out as a mailman and listening to people's stories. Yes. You know, I mean, he's just probably, he was probably just getting all these kinds of material. Yes. Yes. So to back up a little bit, will you explain what your role is in a session? Mm-hmm. So and I wonder, yeah. I wonder if this needs to be two parts, if okay. it's your role as a recording engineer mm-hmm. and your role as a producer. Mm-hmm. Because they're obviously they're they're totally two different, different jobs. Yeah. A lot of times if I'm working with an independent artist or even sometimes, you know, um, somebody on a label, but usually when it's a little bit of a smaller budget, I'm engineering and producing, which is wearing a lot of hats. Um, but sometimes I can get there faster because I know what I want to hear, you know. Um, but I'll start out as a recording engineer um, that I really think that as an engineer your goal is to give your opinion in the way that it sounds. So typically you've talked to the producer, 
you know, producers talk to the artists. There is a very clear understanding about like what the vibe is, what it's going to go for. So as you're capturing it, you're sort of molding this sonic landscape to be what they want it to be. And when they come in and have their first listen, it should sound close to a record, you know, or at least be exciting. Um, sometimes it's not always the case, but that's always the goal. You know? That makes so much sense. Yeah. And so I think that where some people could go wrong is if they insert themselves a little bit too much. Um, not that there should be sort of like a hierarchy and ego and things like that. But at the end of the day, there is a bit of a hierarchy because the producer is is in charge of the investment that the artist is making, Right. Man, that's it's a just, really good way to say that. It's just like buying a house. It's like you've saved up for this thing. You're really excited about. This is representing you. And and it really is as in an artist, as an artist. It's like yeah. you're putting all of your trust into this person. And usually a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, okay, they're in charge of the sonic landscape, the um, you know, commercial, you know, whatever sound of it, making sure that it it has a chance to be, you know, successful, heard in ways that, you know, people that don't make music or hear, you know, hear music the way we do is it's like, okay, how is this going to be exciting to them? You know, and, but also really represent the artist the way that they want to be represented. What's their sound, you know, because that impacts, you know, you probably tour a record typically for about two years an album cycle and then go and make another record, you know, or make a record within that. And, you know, you want to be proud of that. So it's, I always say that the producer is like the adult in the room where it takes all of the pressure off of the artist to be able to be just content, like completely in their own creative world, you know, and do whatever they want to do. And, but if, you know, if you're worried about, they're worried about technical stuff, they're worried about, oh my gosh, is this player actually good? You know, it's like, no, producer has to make sure they have the band right, you know, and it's not just who can play because I mean, Nashville, pretty much everybody can play, but it's personalities. God, this is so interesting. It's reminding me, um, in the pre-pandemic version of my life, who knows what it looks like now, um, I did marketing. Mm-hmm. social media, branding, and the way you were describing how a producer like shepherds a band is so close to what I do when a company would hire me to build out their brand and teach like an Instagram audience who they are and how to like how to interact with them and mm-hmm. what they're... I've never thought about a producer as like a brand manager for a band. Basically. But when you were talking, I was like, oh my God, it's the exact same job. It's just, it's... Yeah. Different. No, true. And I think that every producer has their own flavor. You know, some some producers play instruments on every single thing that they produce. Really? Some don't touch a single instrument. Some, you know, are really involved in the mixing process. Some hand it off to another mixer, which basically is another producer taking over, you know, the project at that point and returning it finished to the producer. So, there are a lot of layers and it used to be where the producer would have, you know, work with the artist and the engineer and be a part of the entire thing, not give it to somebody else to mix. That was the producer's job. And so a lot of times now it's like, 
these big time mixers are also in the production role because they're making decisions that affect the final ending product. You know, Gosh, I'm glad you explained that. Cause I know some of those people and I hadn't really thought I hadn't thought very deeply about it. Yeah. But that clears that up. Yeah. On the end, at the end of the day, I think it was Trina Shoemaker who told me this and I we were on a panel together and I thought it was so brilliant. She's like, if I'm mixing a song and I get the song from the producer, my name should be on the back of that record right under the producer. Because at that point, I'm also the producer. I was like, that is very true. I know the difference between who touches an album from start to finish, but not everyone does. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, these are different jobs. Recording engineer, mm -hmm. mixer, mastering engineer. Do you find that people conflate some of those or does everyone understand when you say recording engineer that you're not the mixer? Not everybody. Sometimes the recording engineer is the mixer That's also, true. but it just depends. I mean, a lot of times it's like for on the Chris Stapleton record, for instance, I mean, some of those, I mean, I think it was on Traveler that Vance Powell said, that a lot of the songs were the board mixes, like the finished mixes, you know? That's interesting. And, but that's the thing. It just comes together. And yeah. that's a very, you know, live setting. And I mean, he's incredible at his job and, you know, did live sound for a long time before. So it makes sense. Yeah, you it know? makes total sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the roles can be either melded into one person, which I'm doing on a lot of my productions with smaller budgets um but there's also a lot of my friends like there's some producers out of LA that you know call me like hey I just finished a country record I just finished a pop record um you know can you mix this you know I'm too close to it and so it's like absolutely oh I didn't think about that yeah yeah uh, okay. and I think it's smart it's very smart um speaking of people possibly not understanding your job. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering um, if you get mistaken for support staff. Oh, like studio manager? All the time. I actually have credit on records as that. You're kidding. Believe it or not, Lady Land. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Damn. Damn. <laughs> you know, it, it's, oh. it's, credit is an interesting thing because you would think that it would be just you did the job, you build for the work, everybody knows what you did, but sometimes things can get in the way, you know, and or it's just not being educated. That's also the thing, you know, part of our job, it's like even, you know, when you were doing marketing, it's like I would have to ask you what your day to day life is, you know, and what your role actually would be called, you know, like. You're not just like, I'm a marketer, you know, like, no, I am director of marketing or whatever it is, but you want to be titled the way that, you know, you are actually titled in the job you're doing because it is an importance to you. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? So it's the same thing, but it's, it's really nice to have a production coordinator on stuff because like Allison McNally, she is amazing and she works with tons of labels and things like that. And she's, she knows all the roles. She wrangles know? the credits and all of that. Yeah, credits, nice. works with the budget, you know, is like the liaison between the 
producers and the label and engineers and musicians and making sure everybody's good. God bless those people. Yeah, she's wonderful. I wish that everyone, I know money is a thing, but I wish that every experience of an album being made included someone like her. Yeah. There's, I hear that there is just so much miscommunication. There is. And it's (laughs) also just people not knowing they needed to communicate about that stuff. 100%. So that's, you know, a huge, I think our job also as, you know, the people in the studio is if I'm working with an independent artist or any artist for that matter, because it's also happened with people on labels is to kind of explain that gently and not in a way that's proud or whatever, but in a way that um, explains to them, you know, what's going on, how long things might take and, you know, different details that go along with it. So I've heard you call this a customer service job and you're known for making your studio feel like a home. Why is that effective? How do you feel right now? Like, I never want to leave. I want to move into your studio. See, that's exactly why. You feel comfortable. We're face-to-face. We're actually talking in the same room. I mean... You made me a margarita. Exactly. Your dog is here. It's just comfortable. You know, I rarely wear shoes in my studio because why? And also, it's just... I think that if you have a better experience, it can affect the final product. And it's not that, like, the experience is all that matters. But if you look back at it and... You know, say like, say the coffee maker didn't work and you just wanted coffee. That's all you wanted or tea. And like the water just wouldn't get hot enough. It's like, even though if we made an incredible record and loved it, you'd still have that sort of like thing in the back of your mind about like, okay, but you know, I have to think about this. I have to think about bringing this next time. And not that that's necessarily my responsibility, but I like comforts. You know, I like little things. And to me, little things are the big things in friendships and relationships. It's just when you're showing up for somebody like that, they feel loved and they feel supported. And I really think that that makes for a better experience. Okay. So your home studio, Studio G, do you primarily work out of here? Do you still do a bunch at RCA? I primarily work out of here now. Um, That changed a lot when COVID hit, basically. Um, I put this place together to do mixing and overdubs mainly. And then with COVID, I could have it be more of a controlled environment and sterilize everything and sanitize everything and also be able to have a smaller budget, you know, for records and not have to, you know, rent a big space. And sometimes we still do, but I can fit about four people, five people comfortably, you know, drums in the booth and bass direct, um, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, keys, you know, singer. So it's it's good. It can be tight at times, but it's fun because everything's just right here. and We can communicate and hear everything well. And so, yeah, I love it. Good. I love being here. Your history with RCA predates Dave Cobb, right? Correct. Like you started when it was still been folds. Yes. Which for Nashville people feels like 100 years ago. It does. It feels like another lifetime. Remember really? They were going to turn them into condos and Nashville oh, yeah. was like. I remember being there and we, I mean, it was October and we had ordered a ton of road cases to pack up gear and it was just the Ben Folds people and Jamie Johnson left on the third floor. 
And I remember that it was like a ghost town. I mean, we were cleaning bathrooms. We were providing toilet paper. I even, I rigged up a hanger and a long pole to fish a woman's keys out of the elevator shaft because the guy that had purchased the building basically gave us a dead end number and it wasn't. So we called for maintenance and it was, yeah, nobody would answer. And so this lady was like knocking on the door. I dropped my keys, you know, so helped her fish those out. It was just very strange. (laughs) It was, yeah, it felt like a ghost town. And, um, thank goodness for Aubrey Preston. That's all I I have to say. I mean, he's, he came in, you know, it was like knight in shining armor and he just, you know, saved the money. Keep your building. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, and then learning about him and his philanthropy and his love for people and music and history and kids and the whole thing of just like the next generation, it just like gave us a new, you know, light. But yeah, I mean, gosh, the Ben Folds days of RCA were some of my favorites. I mean, I adored working with Ben. So what era? Was, I'm like, what year was all of that? I so can't even it was remember. 2015 that it was going to be destroyed. Okay, um, bulldozed. There was actually like a bulldozing date. Um, yeah. So Dave Cobb came in 2016. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's been there since. But it was awesome. I mean, Ben. It was a lot of times. It was me and Ben and Joe Costa. Oh, okay. And um, we would work on Ben's records. I was an assistant. And um, then Ben started hiring me to engineer some stuff for him, which was awesome. That's really cool. He um, flew me to Chicago one time and we recorded um, the, re- the song Phone in a Pool that's on the record So There with the Sextet Y Music oh, from yeah. New York. Yeah. So that was super awesome. I remember Ralph um, was at rental sees now the manager at blackbird but oh yes yeah i, I was like wait a minute I know yeah him. so he's awesome so i called him i was like hey i have to get on a plane tomorrow at like eight in the morning and i need to bring microphones do you guys have i basically had to make rca you know there and there was a big screwing session at rca so i couldn't bring ben's mics and so he loaded up my backpack, basically. That's so nice. And we wrapped everything in bubble wrap. I mean, getting out of Nashville was fine because I just like grabbed a CD and a business card, you know, and I was like, here you go. And then, but getting back from Chicago, it was like, it looked like I had a bunch of bombs in my backpack. It was awful. A legit hustle. I mean, legit. years from now, when you write your memoir, people are, it's going to blow their minds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you about the award you were nominated for. Okay. Does it make you uncomfortable to talk about? Or can you can you accept that you got nominated for this award? I can accept it. Okay. It's at first I was, I mean, because it's been a few months now. I know. Um, and we still don't know. But I'm honestly just being nominated is such a huge accomplishment. It's a, I'm going to back up and explain the award, but it's such a cliche. <laughs> It's honestly just an honor to be nominated. I mean, but it, I mean, I've never been nominated for shit. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I believe you that that is how it feels. It really did. And it was, I really felt like for the first time, because, you know, it is a hustle. You just keep going and going and going and not sure if you're really being seen, not feeling seen, you know, being being in rooms that you don't feel like you can sit up all the way in or you know that like this that that's your spot you stay over there you know can I ask is that because you're an assistant 
Or because you're a woman or both? I don't know if it's necessarily either because I haven't had it in all situations. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes it's just the personalities in the room, you know, and I think that Nashville is coming a far way from that. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's what, because I went through a lot of that, I want to not have that experience for other people that are working for me. I want to build, you know, and bring, you know, people along and be like, okay, let's, let's dig in and see what your strengths are, you know, and not just like as my assistant or as, you know, another engineer or whatever. And, um, I think that that is happening a lot more, or at least I hope it is. I hope it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt that all like all the way with Michael Wagner, he said to me, after, you know, probably six months of learning under him, he goes, okay, you're going to engineer this next project coming in. You know how I do everything. You know, you've proven yourself. I, um, if you have any questions, I'm here, but I want you to pick the colors that you want to use. If you go too far out of the realm of what I want you to be doing as a producer, I will just, you know, lead your way. And that to me was, was huge. I mean, it was just like at 79 after, you know, three months of being an intern, they um, slapped down a reel of tape and I got to like mix it on the console, you know, and just like kind of touch the faders and feel tactilely like how it felt to mix music on, a you know, an analog console. Wow. Um, Just cool stuff like that, like little rewards along the way to make it feel like, okay, I'm actually, you know, I'm doing something that matters. And, you know, I mean engineering, you know, co-engineering Chris Stapleton's records starting over, you know, after working with them on the other records and, you know, working with Jason Isbell and John Prine and, you know, being the lead engineer and just like, you know, getting to that point, you just work. You're not thinking that, oh, this is my goal in life to do this, but then it happens and you're just given the opportunity. It's like, okay, you better, you better kick ass. You better like show up for yourself. And, um, and everything you've done up to that point has led you to be prepared, you know? So, yeah. Lady Lynn listeners, have I got a deal for you. LOL. But seriously, I have a deal for you. Libro FM is the first and only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local independent bookstore. And guess what? We have two of those here in Nashville. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your completely unstructured life. Listen during your commute to your living room while doing chores, walking the dog, petting the cat, or relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free LibreFM app. Ladyland special offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one. That's $14.99 with your first month of membership using the code LADYLAND at checkout. It's really easy. So you were nominated, correct me on any of this if I'm wrong, you were nominated for Recording Engineer of the Year by the Academy of Country Music. hmm Okay. Are you the first woman to get that nomination? Yes. Oh. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. That's oh, crazy. Oh, how did that feel? <laughs> I didn't realize that until probably about ooh, four hours later, Lauren, <laughs> Lauren Branson called me. Uh-huh. I mean, first of all, I couldn't even believe it because I'd always, I looked at those 
you know, nominations. And it was like usually the same names up there and deserving names, not saying they didn't deserve it, but it was definitely, it was just, I never, I oh, never saw four guys that. again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never Look saw myself on again. that list, know. you know, and, or thought it was something that was not necessarily achievable, but it just felt like, okay, you know, that works that way. Cool. So yeah, I was shocked. My friend Sarah Bear um, texted me and said, congratulations. And I was like, congratulations for what? I mean, it was like eight <laughs> in the morning. And she goes, your nomination. I'm like nominated for, and she was like, and then she calls me and she sends me a text message with my name circled a bunch of times. And I was like, I just started crying. And I was like, this is crazy. Are you sure? You know, I had to like Google it. And then, um, yeah. And then I was, uh, called my mom and called my fiance, called my family and told them. And then Lauren called me, yeah, like four or five, you know, hours later. And she was like, I just found out from my resources at the ACMs that you are the first woman to be nominated for this. Holy crap. Yeah. Award. And I was like, okay, that's next level. All of a sudden it became, oh, I don't it's know. different like, at that point. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, this is a little bigger than me now, you know, because I was looking at it as a huge accomplishment for my career individually and thankful and grateful for all of the rooms I've been in. I mean, you know, being able to be like RCA and, you know, meeting Dave Cobb and being on those records and, you know, being lucky enough to be in that room, but also like working hard enough to be in that room, you know, and staying in that room and, and then, you know, getting to meet all sorts of kinds of people. And it just, you can't really ever predict it. You just got to keep going, you know? And, uh, I don't know, the whole first woman thing floored me and it was really, an honor. I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than I'm humbled, beyond humbled, honored and grateful for it. And that I hope that it just continues to open the door for other women and brings the viewpoint that there are women doing yeah, you're this. You're not the only one in town. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So yeah. And I've like, Anytime I get sort of like interviewed, I always try to like throw names in there Let's and throw, throw some names. I mean, Diana Walsh here. Diana She's, Walsh. you know, engineering this podcast. She sure is. You know, Leslie Richter is incredible. She's been around for a while. Um, Shawnee Gandhi. Um, gosh, there's so many. Uh, Piper Payne. Ah, uh, um, no Piper. Uh, Catherine um, Vericoli. Uh, Raylan. It's not um, just like you and Diana. No, no. Kim <laughs> Rosen, incredible mastering engineer out of New York. Um, gosh, I mean, there are so many, and I know I'm forgetting. It's fine. I put like, you on the spot, but Eva Reisted, like, there's so many. I think it's important to bring other people up and just, you know, I mean, it meant so much to me when, you know, I remember like Jordan Hamlin, that's another person, oh, yes. you know? amazing. She had a sound on sound interview when Moxie was, you know, brand new. And like within the first paragraph, she mentioned my name. I was the first person really? that had recorded She's there so outside of her in like 2017 or something. And it was, it was awesome. And we became like the best of friends. And, um, but it was just, it was cool that she mentioned that, you know, those are all my questions. Do okay. you want to talk about anything I didn't ask you? something that I have loved working on that 
was released end of April is Ashley Monroe record, Rhodes Gold. We did that here, um, mixed, and I co-produced some of the songs as well. And I just adore Ashley. She's, and that album's is it already it's out? It's out. Ooh. It's out. Yep, it came out um, April 30th. Okay. And um, yeah, check it out. It's a great, great summer record. Ooh, I, I yeah. do love a summer. Yeah, a summer Rose record. Gold. Okay, Ashley Monroe. Ashley Monroe. What's wrong with I'm, I'm, you? Got I me drunk. You got me drunk. That's My plan the secret. <laughs> the candles are a front for alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh my god. Oh, I do have one more question. Oh, bring it on. What music do you listen to? That's that's too dumb. I want to give you like <laughs> circumstances. Like, yeah. what music do you listen to to like hype yourself up? Hype myself up. Oh my gosh. Like someone's coming over to record and maybe like you need to get your, I bet you don't get your energy up. Uh, see, I'm projecting. I, you are projecting. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what rap album do you listen to? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, hello. Um, it's so funny because my sister's super into rap. And so like we've been, I mean, we've been listening to so much Biggie lately. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, you know, old stuff, like the good shit. But, um, but no, I mean, it's fun because she's four years younger than I am and she's just like all in the know of like what's like the hip stuff. And so it's fun to play her things that I've worked on and to, for her to be like singing that song later, like hearing it one time, I'm like, wait, okay, that's hooky. Or, you know, like she's like, yeah, I would totally listen to that song. I love that. Like, I, oh my gosh, I love that girl's voice. Like I'm working with Caitlin Smith right now. I don't think I know Caitlin Smith. Oh, you should know Caitlin Smith. She's incredible. Okay. Um, she's a um, songwriter and singer artist from Minnesota. Ooh. Yes. And um, we met from a mutual friend, um, Jen, who's an LA producer. And um, I just, we were recording her record. And, um, but my sister was in town from Minnesota and she heard a song and she like started singing this song. She's like, this is awesome. I love it. And it's just super cool to hear something you're working on because I always try to have that first, that like, I don't know, first time listener ear. But sometimes when you're close to it, it's hard to do. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, gosh. So do you listen, do you, where do you want your energy when people are coming over to like record? Calm. Okay. You see, yeah, yeah I asked you. I mean, calm question. and excited. You know, I mean, yeah, I'll definitely I think when I'm cleaning, I listen to a lot more like tell me. You know, I listen <laughs> just to I'll I'll turn on what I've been doing lately to get myself out of my own head is I'll just turn on a random playlist on Spotify or on, you know, iTunes and be like, it's funny what like the top pop or the top rap or the top country is what you know it's just it's so funny because some of them don't even go together and then you know you hear one you're like okay that makes sense but um I mean I just I listen to gosh I mean a lot of John Prine um a lot of oldies my my one of my all-time favorites um Donny Hathaway really yeah I mean, okay. I could just like, and I can't even tell you how many people I've introduced Donny Hathaway to, like the, his music. I was like, are you kidding? You know? And, um, but yeah, 
that's that's a huge one. Um, obviously, Beatles, and oh. um, I mean, there's so many, but you know, my mom um, would always play Barbara Streisand growing up because she loved Ooh, Barbara Streisand, and um, yeah, just you know, old country, and um, I love old, you country. know, I love old country. Mm-hmm. Will and Jennings, Willie Nelson. You know, there's just, there's so much goodness in it, but I really love classic records and, you know, Etta James is a favorite and it's just like, to me, that's, that's real, you know? And so often we hear about music and we hear new music and then it kind of seems familiar to us in a way, you know? And I really like kind of digging back and seeing where that influence came from. And there's a big joke in our house that I don't understand samples. So all (laughs) these... (laughs) I grew up listening to rap and I still listen to rap. And every now and then I will hear the original and I'm like, oh my God, that's that Beastie Boys song. <laughs> and John will be like, Kim, I swear to God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We can't keep having this oh conversation. The Prince is a big one too. Oh I mean, think about how many times that's been redone, you know, in ways. You know, but that was huge. Um, especially on the Ashley Moon Row record. We just like Ooh. dove in. There were so many different influences and it wasn't just from like one person, but it was like almost like, oh, this is what I want the snare to sound like or this is what I want this vibe to be like or the panning's really cool or, you know, Dusty in Memphis, you know, Dusty Springfield. That's one of my most favorite records. I just love the way it sounds. Yeah, there's just so many. I mean, it's so I hard know. to talk about just one. Gina, thank you so much. I have to live in your studio. Come by anytime. I hope you're ready to be the new studio home. (laughs) Absolutely. We're just going to show up. Yes. We're just going to start recording here. Yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You guys are awesome. Bye. I'm Kim Baldwin, and that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. To find full show notes, head over to ladyland.show. And if you know a lady that I need to meet slip into my dms you can find me at ladyland underscore podcast on instagram this podcast is produced by mary Catherine rooker and brought to you by we own this town logo by elizabeth williams music by you drive download anywhere you listen to podcasts if you have a minute please go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review ladyland thanks again for listening see you next time